So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You know, we have so many things to be thankful for. The Lord provided everything we need and then some. But on this Thanksgiving Day, I'm especially thankful because Sarah and I have been married 18 years. Yeah. So yes, she deserves an, an applause for that one. Because if you don't believe in miracles... Well, the fact that Sarah puts up with a loud talker, a guy with a uh, cheesy sense of humor, and somebody that would suffer from um, uh, misophonia, uh, for that amount of time is proof that miracles do happen. Okay? Misophonia, that's when people chew loud and it gets on your nerves. That's what that is. Okay? (laughs) So let's open in prayer before we start here. Father, I just ask that you would open our eyes so that we can see your loving kindness in all circumstances. Cause your word to take a hold of our hearts and our minds so that we could bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for all of those that are hearing your gospel today that it would be refreshing to those that know you personally and life-saving to those that don't. Amen. So open your Bibles to the book of Ruth today. This is about a quarter of the way into your Bible right after the book of Judges. If you happen to hit Revelation, go back. You've gone too far. Okay. Today we're going to look into this account, and I hope that it's going to cause us to give thanks to God in the good times as well as the not-so-good times. And as we go through the Scriptures, whenever you notice God's goodness in the midst of circumstances, you know maybe you can let God know how thankful you are by vocalizing it. Because... If someone falls into some kind of tryptophan slumber this morning, maybe your exuberance will wake them up. Okay? So over 3,000 years ago in the uh, land of Israel, during the time that the Bible describes as a period when every person did what was right in their own eyes, God raised up judges in order to keep the nation. And it is during this time that the book of Ruth takes place. In the opening chapter, we are introduced to Elimelech, And there's a famine in the land of Israel. And so he and his delightful wife, Naomi, and his sickly boy, Malon, and his pining boy, Kilion, they traveled from Bethlehem, which is uh, northwest of the Dead Sea. They traveled eastwards and then south to the land of Moab. And the land of Moab had the distinction of being named after the son of Lot whom his eldest daughter conceived when they left the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is an indication that it's in fact a pagan nation. And so it was that during a time when the land of Judah was going through a famine, that the land of Moab seemed to be the better option. So it was that Elimelech and Naomi, they packed up their family in order to temporarily live there until things would get better back home. But as with life, things don't always go as they have been planned. And it definitely did not get better in the land of Moab. Chapter 1 and verse 3. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, I have it up here so we could all read it. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left 
of her two sons and her husband. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. You know, if somebody gives you good advice, just do yourself a favor and take the good advice, right? Especially if God's the one that's giving you the advice. See, you may not be aware of this, but God actually wants what's good for you. A lot of people think of this God, how he's mean. No, no, actually he loves you and he wants what's best for you. It's like a parent with a child, right? You you want what's best for them, so you set boundaries. It's not because you're being a mean parent, it's because you love your children. And you want to protect them. According to Deuteronomy 11, God had promised that the land of Israel would be plentiful so long as the children obeyed. So if the land is in a state of famine, that tells us that there was sin in the leadership as well as a large enough portion of the population that it affected the nation as a whole. Meanwhile, Elimelech and Naomi, they thought that they were going to be leaving this famine and moving on to greener pastures. But in the end, life was more difficult in Moab than it would have ever been if they would have stayed back home in the promised land. And while they were there in Moab, Malon and Kilion, they married two Moabite women, which was a clear contravention against God's commandment when he said, you're not supposed to go out and marry pagan people. Then through a series of unfortunate events, we find three childless widows. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Not to be confused with Oprah. Okay. And although they were in similar circumstances, these ladies had very different ways of dealing with the events that life brought their way. Let's look at Orpah and Ruth. Verse 8. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find a rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. You know, it's apparent from the text that these women loved one another. This wasn't a recent sentiment. This is something that they would have had for many years. These women loved Naomi and they loved her boys. And Naomi knew them and she loved them because they loved her boys as well. This bond was so strong that these ladies were willing to go into some unknown country. You know, it's quite possible that they felt obliged because of the relationship they had. So then she gives them this opportunity. She says she gives them their blessing to to, to decide if they want to go back home. You know, she didn't want them to feel guilty if they decide, hey, I'm going to go back to my family and friends because I know them. She didn't want that guilt to be there. They had a choice to make. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Oral tradition has a way of painting Orpah as a cold woman that didn't love Naomi. 
But it's evident that Orpah was kind and loving as a daughter-in-law. She loved Naomi. She was very kind towards her. She was actually willing to move to Bethlehem. Considering that she didn't uh, know anybody there, that's a pretty big deal. That's packing up, moving up out of your country into a completely different country with your mother-in-law. Meanwhile, her entire family and friends live right there in Moab. You know, she would have weighed the options and come to the conclusion that it was better for her to stay there. You know, think about it. On one hand, you have some place that you've never been to. The way to get there is very difficult. Uh, you are traveling into the unknown. And as children, a childless widow, she would actually have no form of support and she would be relying on the mercy and generosity of others to take care of her. On the other hand, if you remained in Moab, you have family and friends that are more than happy to take care of you and to support you. And you'll most likely find another husband in Moab that will be able to, to take care of you as well. So as you start weighing the options, you can understand why most people would choose to stay in Moab and not go somewhere where they're not familiar. So what's the difference between her and Ruth? Again, oral tradition has it that Ruth truly loved her mother-in-law while uh, Orpah did not love her mother-in-law. But may I suggest that Ruth didn't necessarily love Naomi more. Okay, The difference is that she believed what she had been told of about the God of Israel. Listen to what she had to say. Verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. This is where the rubber meets the road. So Ruth looks at her options now. If I choose to stay, I can go back to my family and friends. I love them. They love me. They'll take care of me until I find another husband. But they worship these false gods, these pagan gods. Their gods are dead. It's all superstition. And now that I know the one true God, I just can't bring myself to marry a guy that's into pagan worship. On the other hand, if I follow Naomi to someplace I've never been to, you know, the way to get there is difficult. I'm traveling into the unknown. I've never been to this place. I'm a childless widow with no form of support. I have to live on the generosity of others. But the children of God are there, and if I want to, I can follow Yahweh now. The Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added on to you. So two ladies are offered the same choice, and they come to two different conclusions. For Orpah, her story ends right here. You don't hear about her anymore. For Ruth, though, this is only the beginning. But before we move on, I want us to take a look at Naomi. Chapter 1, verse 19. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. 
For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. You know, when we say uh, someone is bitter, sometimes it can bring up to our minds the thought of somebody that's hard-nosed with a bad attitude. But contextually, this is referring to someone that's feeling down, uh, discontent, hopeless, broken. You know when you get that awful feeling in the pit of your stomach? I remember this one time when I was a kid, I opened up the fridge door and I saw this bottle of vanilla cream soda. Man, I was salivating at the expectation of this creamy goodness. And, you know, I'm just looking forward to this. And as it went down my mouth and in my throat, I was entirely confused and disgusted by the most vile tasting liquid I had ever tasted. And much to my dismay, I had just drank uh, tonic water. See, I didn't read the label before I put it in my mouth. It looked like cream soda. I drank it, and it tasted like poison. Okay, I was expecting liquid sugar, but I instead drank a dose of quinine. It doesn't taste good. Okay, Comparing happy and bitter is like taking refreshing water or maybe cream soda Okay, and comparing that with tonic water. Okay, One's cool and refreshing. The other one, if you drink too much of it, it gives you an upset stomach. And as we read these verses here, we sometimes lose sight that Naomi would have been a delightful, happy woman that was strong in her faith with God the Father at one time. You know, she grew up in the promised land, learning the precepts of God and worshiping with other fellow believers. But as with many that have their place with God the Father, circumstances arise. You know, and you roll with the tide because you understand that according to the scriptures, God's in control. That the sun shines on the just, the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. And true faith in God is not contingent on fair weather. I would even dare to say that in difficult times, our relationship with God should be strengthened not become some brittle thing that needs to be handled with kid gloves. You know, During the good times, and even in the midst of difficult times, because they had gone through some hard times, Naomi would have instructed her boys in the faith. And in due time, she would have done the same thing with her daughters-in-law. At that time, the joy and the faith that she would have demonstrated while she was with her daughters-in-law, it would have... Uh, created in them a desire to learn more about the God of Israel. You know, it's amazing how a good attitude and a smile can be contagious. A little kid gets in trouble, they've done something wrong, they just crack a big smile, well, trouble's gone. If you're a guy, though, I would not recommend you do that, okay? You better have a backup plan because you don't look as cute when you do it. Okay? You know, some of the biblical stories that Naomi would have taught her boys and eventually her daughters-in-law, they would have included the Genesis account, which includes a very real directory of the descendants of Adam to Judah, which was her not-too-distant ancestor. They would have heard the story of Judah and Tamar from Genesis 38. They would have been told the story of the promised land and that every family was given a perpetual inheritance. 
And that in order to guarantee it, if a man were to die before his wife conceived, a kinsman was to protect the family's inheritance and his name by becoming a surrogate and raise up a child in the name of the deceased. Hence the term kinsman redeemer. And she would have spoken of their lineage to Judah himself. It's not something you forget to mention if you're an ancestor of Judah when you're opening up scriptures to people. And that's why in verse 11 and 13 she refers to that kinsman-redeemer relationship in a matter-of-fact way. And as the ladies are hearing this, they're not like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? What, this is all insane to us. What are you talking about? No, no. They're very familiar with it. That's why they don't question her on this topic. They knew exactly what she was talking about. But this current incident in Naomi's life, though, it was just a little too much to take. Maybe it felt that God had forsaken her. Maybe it felt that he was punishing her. Whatever the case, a distance between her and God had taken a hold of her heart now. And this once delightful, sweet woman had become bitter through these unfortunate circumstances that she had to deal with. You know, having faith in God and being thankful in the midst of difficulties, they don't necessarily go hand in hand. We need to be reminded in the good times so that we can be ready in the difficult times that God is good all the time. And like a true child of God, those circumstances, they didn't drive her away from the faith. It's not like she packed up, moved to Egypt and said, you know what, I, have, I want nothing to do with this God anymore. I want nothing to do with this faith. Not at all. Actually, to the contrary, it caused her to make a definitive choice. She picked herself up and she went back to Bethlehem seeking the heart of God and wanting to fellowship with believers. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. God had provided a way to sustain people if they fell on hard times. See, those that owned fields were supposed to keep a part of it for those that needed it. It wasn't a freeloading system. Okay, If you needed food, you went out, you worked it yourself, you picked up the stuff yourself. See, God's method, it promoted dignity. It wasn't just a handout. And this would also prevent bitterness from creeping up within you because, hey, you're out there, you're busy getting your hands in the work and it's causing you to have dignity. So Ruth takes it upon herself to honor her mother-in-law and to trust that the God of Israel would provide. So she went out the entire day picking grains. Oh, and and by the way, this is before tractors. By hand. She did this by hand. Okay, She took all that she picked and then she would bring it to the threshing floor and she would separate grain from husk. And this is laborious work and she did this all day long. And as she was doing this, she had a wonderful attitude. She was incredibly dignified and grateful and people noticed. Her faith in the God of Israel and her willingness to trust in his methodology 
even in the midst of these difficult times, it spoke volumes. It was an outward confession of an inward faith. And this faith now had an impact on the people around her. To the point that they actually told Boaz upon his return about all these things about about, uh, Ruth. Chapter 2, verse 11. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. And pay careful attention to this part. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. You know, it's amazing what happens when someone is fully submitted to God. It has this ability to excite other believers. You know, Boaz, a very godly man, he hears about this godly person and he gets excited. He goes out, he finds Ruth, and he realizes, even though she's a Moabitess, she's probably more Jewish than all of his relatives. He's like, okay, listen, Ruth. Okay, I want you to get all your provisions from my field. Don't bother going anywhere else. And you know that joyful submission to God, it also has a wonderful way to encourage those that are dispirited. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kinsmen, or his kindness, to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. That faith and thankfulness to God that Naomi once had demonstrated in front of Ruth and causing her a desire to know him, and now it had come full circle, and Ruth's faith and thanksgiving to God was causing Naomi to have joy back in her life. And now her bitterness was melting away. She was becoming her delightful self again. And day after day, Ruth would return to the fields and collect the grain and bring it to the threshing floor. She did this the entire barley harvest, the entire wheat harvest. And in due time, Naomi came to the point where she didn't want to hold Ruth back anymore. She wanted to help her find a godly man that would bring her rest. I had the impression that Naomi would have noticed that Ruth and Boaz, they brought joy to each other. Remember how it was the first time you met your better half? You're probably all bright-eyed and giddy every time you guys got around each other. No, I have no doubt that they were the same way. You know, people were probably just rolling their eyes when they were around and like, oh, man, why don't you guys just get married already? You know, sometimes believers, we need to give godly counsel and encourage others to move forward. And so it was that Naomi gave Ruth the push that she needed. She's like, okay, Ruth, you know what? Get out of your work clothes. Put something half decent on, okay? You're going to go up to Boaz and you're going to tell him exactly how you feel. And I think I know why Naomi told Ruth this. It's because at times guys can be quite clueless with what women are thinking. Am I the only guy that thinks that I'm clueless when it comes to thinking what women are thinking? No? Okay, good. You know, he had no idea that she would actually be interested in him. He's thinking, you know what, there's all these other guys that are a good catch, why would she even be considering me, right? So she had to go to him and let him know that she liked him. 
So he goes back, she goes back to the farm. <clears throat> and there they are, the people, they're eating. And when they're done eating and drinking, they all find these cozy places to sleep on the floors after they're done chatting it up. He finds a spot on the floor, speaking of Boaz here. And Ruth goes up to Boaz, who's looking pretty cozy, wrapped up in all of his long clothes. And she lifts up the garment from his feet and lays down at his feet. And because it's dark, Boaz has no idea who this is and he's kind of freaked out. So he asks, who is this? Then he hears her voice. Chapter 3, verse 9. And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In essence, Ruth is telling him how she feels about him. And she's at his feet and she says to him, hey, are you willing to cover up this poor cold girl and keep me warm? You know, are you willing to take care of me as if I was your own? Verse 10, And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the later end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all of the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. You know, that brings up Proverbs 31 right there. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Verse 15. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? She said this because it's still dark outside. And she said, uh, and she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. You know, this is a wonderful demonstration of how Boaz truly loved Ruth. He wanted to protect her reputation and he gave her the grain. You know what? I don't want you, your mom to think ill of you, or your mother-in-law, I should say. Okay? Which is also a demonstration of his willingness to provide for her with all that she needed. And that she could find rest in him. Chapter 4, verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's and at the hand of Naomi. Uh, moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance that the name of the dead would be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses today. Verse 11, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Raquel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do not, and do thou worthily into Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Peretz and Tamar, uh, whom Tamar bear unto Judah, and the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So this this amazing turn of events here. The only thing Ruth had to do was go to Boaz and ask him to be her kinsman redeemer. She had to do nothing else. He turned around. He did all of the work to get it done. The biblical account that Ruth would have heard about Judah and Tamar you know, giving birth to their son, uh, Peretz, and the whole role of that kinsman redeemer, now had a direct implication in her personal life. You see, 
Peretz, the son of Judah and Tamar, is actually the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. Not that far down the line when you actually think about it. And if Tamar would have not had uh, Peretz, then Ruth would have not met Boaz. And he would have not become her personal redeemer. What was once a head knowledge to Ruth had now become a matter of heart and a matter of life to her. Are you seeing any parallels here? <laughs> Good. Nice story, Mark. What does that have to do with me? Right? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you see, Adam was our spiritual figurehead. He was to bring forth seed after the similitude of God. And his children would have inherited his kingdom. But when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, his spirit died within him, and therefore all of his offspring, including all of us, were born spiritually dead. Also, Adam was a direct creation from God. He didn't have any brothers that could actually go out and redeem his inheritance. So God himself took the form of a man. Jesus Christ, who also comes directly from God, by the way, and he also comes from the lineage of Boaz and Ruth, Okay, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he has become our kinsman redeemer. He purchased Adam's inheritance, and he paid the price with actually his own blood. And he offers it freely. And like Boaz... Jesus already did everything to save you. You don't have to do anything for it. The only thing that you need to do is actually turn to him in faith and ask him to be your redeemer. In the same way that Ruth trusted Boaz, we need to trust Jesus. So ask yourself, where do I stand today? Am I like Naomi? You know, I once knew the joy of the Lord, but lately I'm just not feeling it. If that's the case, may I suggest that you go out to the field and you start harvesting. You'd be surprised at the wonders it'll do for your spiritual life. Or maybe you're someone that's been walking towards that promised land and you're standing there and you're weighing your options now. Are you going to be like Orpah? A person that hears the truth but yet chooses to return to their old life instead of the new life. Or maybe you would be like Ruth. A person that hears the truth and leaves their old ways behind in order to seek and find everlasting life in Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save. And he wants to be your personal redeemer. And what a better way to do that than by giving him our heartfelt thanks and to follow him. Amen? So let's do that together and we're going to praise Jesus with one more song and then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, it's to the glory of Jesus that we thank you for your loving kindness, for your plan of redemption, for offering us the free gift of salvation. Thank you for loving us when we are not lovable. Give us the ability to truly understand the implication of redemption 
and to retain your word in our hearts, Lord. Bring encouragement to those that can identify with Naomi Mm -hmm. and how she was feeling and draw those that are considering remaining in Moab that they would choose rather to follow you as Ruth did. Lord, may your glory be evident in the lives of your children that are present here today. Amen.